Hello, and welcome to Endpoint Management Today. My name is Rhonda Student-Kaiser, and I'm the Director of Customer Experience for BigFix. And I am James Stewart, BigFix Python expert. Today, we want to introduce to you the person who is really in the overall portfolio architecture of all of BigFix, Rosario Ganjimi. Rosario is the Chief Architect for BigFix, responsible for driving our roadmap across the entire product line. Thanks for joining us today, Rosario. Thanks, James. Thanks, Rhonda. A pleasure for me to be here today. So, Rosario, how did you first get involved in tech? It was a while ago, James. So I started getting into what I would call technology when I really was at high school and was really much younger then. And I started playing with essentially electronics and all the stuff, you know, uh, welding thing, PCB, putting uh, stuff together, seeing lights that fly its own flesh, go on and go off. That's the way I got uh, originally into uh, the, um, I would say technology. That's why I will call it. So there was a time of uh, high school. So you were building and soldering circuits and stuff like that? Yep, yep, yep. I think the first one that I, I don't know the, 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 whether it still exists, but you know, the, the first project that I think I did was, you know, the lights that flight, the, the flashes on a disco, uh, according to the music. But so oh. different lights, a different so bass, treble, highs, and so on and so forth. So the first circuit that I built was one of those that we used when we were meeting together with friends and having some fun with some music. That's the first circuit I, I built. Very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a, a great use of technology. Oh, yes. And I also got a couple of times I got shot with uh, with it because I was touching what I shouldn't have. We have 220 volts in Italy. It was, you know, an experience, Oof. but, you know, I'm still alive. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that. And what else did you do? Well, then I believe from there, then I started getting a bit more intrigued by more complex stuff. So uh, there was, you know... Um, I was at uh, a magazine or other here in Italy uh, that was uh, um, suggesting how to do better electronics. They were creating kits, so you essentially pick up the PCB or the components and you solder it yourself. And so one of the things I got intrigued with, and that's the first time I got on computers essentially, is uh, uh, build your own uh, computer. Uh, call it computer. But at the time, it was uh, uh, a Z80-based uh, uh, computer. Uh, I think it was like running at 4 megahertz, if I remember right. A sing- for sure, it was a single-digit megahertz. Forget about gigahertz. So I built this thing myself. It was uh, with a C80, which has, which used to have um, the same instruction set of the 8080. So it's essentially, you know, a minimal instruction set. Some of those is still in the current processor, I believe. And uh, it had uh, 4K, 4K, 4096 bytes of memory. And the way by which I was programming the thing was via an hexadecimal uh, keyboard. So the the keyboard was made by these uh, small uh, 16 uh, buttons uh, with the hexadecimal digit and an eight uh, display seven digit, uh, if you know where they are, right? This seven digit typically red. 
And so you will read that the address you were programming and the code you were putting, it wasn't even assembler, it was machine code. So I had to look up what the machine code was, I put the machine code for whatever I wanted to do, typically, you know, put in a registry, rotate and so on, that towards the instruction. So that's how I got intrigued, I will say, into computers. And then at high school still, uh, one of the teachers, they bought, I don't know, whatever reason, they bought a TRS-AT Model 2, if I remember right. It was running BASIC. They didn't know what to do. So they gave it to me. And I, in BASIC, what I think was the, the real first program that I did in a language which was not assembler. Uh, was to uh, calculate uh, the resolution of, you know, a class I amplifier. I used to be uh, in electronics at the time as well. So that's that's all I've got in from, you know, a small computer to a bigger one. And the one that I built myself, I remember, you know, what to do, what can I do with this thing? It had only the firmware that will allow you to enter uh, data and addresses. So the first thing that I did was uh, see how I could do multiplication and division, not in binary, uh, but you know decimal or floating point. And believe it or not, the processor at the time didn't have uh, those instructions. The only instruction you could use was uh, a shift right, right, shift left, rotate, and so on and so forth. So dividing and multiplying by two was a bit easy, not that much, given only 8-bit or 16-bit register, but making big, bigger kind of computation, which must have much harder. So that's how I learned about, you know, some of the basic built-in blocks of how computer works. And so that would have been in 8080 Assembler at the time? Is that what that would have been? It would have been in what, chips? Uh, would it be in Assembly that you were doing that? No, not even assembly, uh, machine code. So if I remember oh, right, oh, C1, C1 directly. So the binary thing. Uh, if yeah, I remember yeah. one, uh, right, C1 was the instruction by which you will load the A accumulator. So you wouldn't put like load A with a number. You would put right, the, right. Uh, the, the address, then you uh, in memory where you wanted the instruction to be, then click C1, which was the... Uh, let's say, assemble equivalent or load the registry, and then you put the the value into the registry. No, not even assembler, machine code. So, right, so the step below bits assembler. on, bits off. Yeah, it's below. So it's it's what uh, actually the, the processor read. They don't read assembler, they read machine code. So right. I was programming that. Exactly. Assembler so, is an, already a higher level language than what machines <laughs> actually run, right? Uh, exactly. So, that, that was the level I was writing my initial uh, program. So, and interesting, I uh, uh, was doing this thing, and um, after a while, I got fed up because I didn't have a mechanism to store my program. It was just, you know, uh, residing in RAM, four kilobytes of RAM, and whenever I shut down the computer, you would know I wouldn't have it again. So the next project, if I remember, yeah, I remember that I did was I was looking around books or other thing, and I wrote uh, a simple mechanism to uh, write and read uh, bits and bytes into a tape, uh, the small tape that nobody uses anymore these days, so that I could record my program and get it back the day after instead of having to redo it again. And that, that's, I believe, what I did with that thing. That's pretty cool. I know how to spell assembler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So, <laughs> well, was there any other uh, programming at, languages at, at the time that you did? At the time, uh, oh, yes. Uh, I believe it was, no, the most, the, the typical one, which I wouldn't use, like, you know, right now, uh, I believe there was Fortran, 
uh, Cobble was uh, the other one. And mm-hmm. C didn't exist yet, which is, the, I believe, the first language that I, a higher level language that I learned. I was at the university at that time, uh, directly from the book. But not a lot, honestly. Most were for um, big machines, so like the PL1, PLX that uh, uh, some other company will use. But those were the languages that were not at that level uh, that, you know, people uh, like me in their house could do, could, uh, could use. Uh, and as I mentioned, the first one that I saw uh, that was at a higher level was uh, BASIC. And it was interesting to BASIC that you had to put um, the line number into your program because you didn't have even a way to sequence the program. So you have to put a line number. And that, uh, yes, it was this way. You typically will have to put line numbers like in decades. Like you say, line, the first line number will be 10, the second will be 20, and so on and so forth. And the reason was because at later time, you will probably want to insert more lines. And the way by which you will do that is to put like line 11 and line 12. So you were making space for more uh, possible statement of a language right. ahead of time. I, yeah, I, rem- I, 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 I can't remember that. why, honestly. I, do, I don't remember. <laughs> I didn't study enough to see why they did that way. But I remember, you know, when we really I was writing those languages, I had to make sure that I would put enough space in the line number between two instruction to make sure that then if I had to change the program, I could actually add to it. Otherwise, I had to write it again. Yeah, I remember doing that in like Quick Basic and Q Basic. There you go. <laughs> yep, it was very bizarre, yep. and I have no idea why it was that way. And it was a very strange yeah. design. But I, I guess one day was... I will look for, I will look at that and see why they did it that way. But I never did it honestly. Yep. Probably that was the only way that they could uh, that they could make it work. And now it's all part of the processor, part of the code. And we don't even know that it's doing that. It's probably most, still doing oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> most probably run that, but it was it was it was nice. It was interesting, honestly. It was yeah. close to us. Somebody would do the same there when you have stuff in memory. So, yeah, for sure. So, did that then take you into college and and wanting to do more with things like? big fix and and all of that. I mean, how did you get from, you know, hexadecimal keyboards to college and finding your way into the industry? Well, I always liked that thing. So on my spare time from time to time, I typically get into technology. But then I I, I got, I will say, intrigued by physics. Uh, the reason was, you know, a good teacher visited high when I was at the last year of high school. Um, it was so nice, I would say, and what he was saying was so intriguing that I moved to uh, learn physics. So at the time, I I didn't think, I mean, I would be in the software industry, honestly, Rhonda. Um, even if, you know, I liked and I still like all uh, this stuff that we do. The way then, so I went on with uh, learning that. I did some interesting job that I don't bother you today with what I did while I was studying. Uh, and towards the end, uh, I believe on when I got my degree at university, um, there was a large company in Italy that was building a big lab in software development, uh, like, you know, recruiting hundreds of people. And uh, I did apply for it. So I applied for the type of job. Uh, I said, well, it's computer, it's science. I like computer. Uh, uh, Staying at university was not an option at the time for me. And so I moved to that particular, uh, I sorry, I applied for that um, job. 
and I got recruited. And that's, you know, I don't tell you how many years ago I got into uh, the software industry uh, with my first employer. That's how I got to this. Not be fixed yet, but. Got it. And I moved from my hometown in my dear Sicily to Rome, where I still live. And Rome, Italy, by the way, not from Georgia or something like that. I do live in Italy. <laughs> there's, there's a Rome in every state, pretty much, I'm sure. Yeah. I, mean, I, don't, think there's one in, I don't think there's one in Oregon, but there ought to be. Just, I, just I don't know, Rhonda, but one of the first time I went... <laughs> One of the first time I went into U.S., I was whatever looking, and people asked, "Where are you from?" And I, you know, I'm from Rome. Oh, Rome, Georgia, Rome, something else. I said, "Well, it's Rome." Oh, yes. And though I saw a picture, and you have Rome all over the places. You have Venice. I mm-hmm. think you have Naples, another thing in the United States, in multiple states. So that's how. That's why I typically say I live in Rome, come Italy. <laughs> yes, yes, that makes sense. So cool. Uh, thank you for, for, for that history <laughs> and that clarification, because now exactly. everybody knows where they can come and visit you. And <laughs> exactly. And oh, out. yes. Oh, always welcome. And so that's how I got into this industry uh, for a number of years. And uh, thank Rhonda, you asked now how I got here, even with Bifix. So that was part of your question, if I heard you right. Yeah. Still a number of years ago, I was working with my previous employer. And um, we had a, I will say, a, a product that was already in the market for some time. And uh, we were looking to expand and uh, improve that particular uh, piece of software. And so uh, together with that, as you know, sometimes and typically happens uh, is, you know, you have to build something. And while you build something, you also think, oh, maybe we can gain some time to market uh, to even acquire instead of building. Uh, and so even before the big fix was acquired by my previous employer, like uh, a year and a half at least before the official um, date, I got involved with doing the what is called the due diligence. Uh, so it's the entire activity that different part of the organization do to have a look at a company and think about should we acquire them or not. Um, my activity and role there was primarily and essentially, I will say, from the technical part. And so we were doing all the work in terms of understanding from the outside, uh, because you can't get contaminated, from the outside uh, what uh, uh, the technology was that we're able to do, if and how they will uh, fit uh, the needs that uh, we understood we had for the product we had in Enzo already and for the evolution of the product. And that particular activity took quite some time. Uh, and that's where I learned, honestly, big fix even before I was part of this great family. Um, after some time, uh, we finally decided that you now big fix was the right target for us to move forward and uh, join the two pieces of technology that we had, one coming from big fix and the other one that we had in ours uh, at the time, and make you know bigger, I uh, will say, impact with the combination of the two technologies. That's how I got, I will say, my initial uh, view of uh, Big Fix, what the technology does, and even uh, meeting the, some of the original uh, writer of, the, of that technology, people that uh, have been with us for a number of years. Some had decided to go to some other companies, some else has actually retired. So that's, that's how I got involved with Big Fix a number of years ago. So did you actually come to the US and meet with people to do that? Yes, yes, yes. And when you do 
uh, things like that, uh, Jim, you typically don't meet the people in the same location where you actually have the headquarter. So you actually meet in different places, maybe different town, hotels, or think of that sort for the same reason. You know, uh, any activity like this may go uh, one way, may go another way, and um, you don't want uh, uh, people to be distracted by something that is happening like that. So. Uh, you don't go directly to the headquarters or the thing and have people meet you, but you know some of the key individuals that are selected by the two parties are the ones that uh, work together, uh, fit uh, the technology, fit the business case, uh, and so on and so forth. So in this type of activity, you have you know people from finance, from HR, from technical, from product management. There is a at least you know with uh, my previous employer, that's the way it was working. There are different uh, uh, teams and different areas that are looked for. Uh, so that are involved, I would say, that look for and look after uh, the technology you are going to to acquire. So when you um, had this experience, what were like the first things that really impressed you about Big Fix? I will say two two areas where what was impressing me. The first thing was, you know, I will say the. Uh, that how much the people that we were meeting actually love the technology, they have the technology in their hands, and I'm a good they were speaking about the great thing that they did, which, you know, when you see from the outside, you think, okay, everybody likes and loves their technology. But in reality, well, the more we looked at the technology, the more, you know, we understood that the technology was um, actually great uh, for uh, what it was doing at the time. And one model that I remember, or a particular uh, element that I remember well, and it was one of the fundamental, I would say, decision point, was this entire uh, content streaming and delivery that we have in Big Fix, uh, because it actually gives people uh, the possibility to act and do uh, activity, call it the automation, we call the thing uh, Fixlet. Uh, without having to write them on their own. We write this thing for our customer. Uh, I, I say we now because I know I love and I'm in big now, but the time, the point was, you know, these automations are made available to customers without them having to write them on their own. And uh, that was, I will say, a key differentiator that I remember because technology we had at that time and most of the technology that uh, we were looking at at the time, it was more around, I give you, if I... Uh, the building blocks, like the Lego blocks, and you, dear user, then you have to stick them together and fit to your needs. Uh, the, the model that we fix has for a number of areas is not like that. Uh, essentially, you know, in a number of areas, be it security, patching, uh, uh, and others, uh, a customer will actually have uh, directly the uh, automation that they need to apply a bunch of patches on a Windows or a different type of, of, of routing system or to check whether uh, a particular uh, device or application is compliant with security checks or not without actually having essentially to touch anything. They go into our UI, they click a few buttons and they get uh, immediately the uh, result that they, they will help them understand their posture and remediate them. And we do it on a regular basis, and we constantly do it. So that's that. That was again um, a great, great uh, element. Essentially, we even did an internal exercise uh, uh, at the time to see, oh, suppose we want to do a, a model like this with a, with a previous employer. How much resource and time do we need to, to do that thing? It was quite 
high, and it was uh, one of the fundamental uh, element I would say that uh, medicine, not the only one, uh, but it was a, a key part of the. Uh, let's pick up this technology. That, that was also my experience as uh, a customer before I joined Big Fix. Was that I, I was really impressed at how easily I could make content and then share it with other people and that they could use my content directly without having to do anything ex extra on top of that. And that's part of why I started sharing what I wrote as widely as possible, you know, first internally to my organization across all of our IT teams, but then eventually to Big Fix Me and GitHub and all of these other places for all the stuff yep, that I was that's doing. But that's the other strong part, I will say, if I may, James, which is, you know, in addition to having these uh, automations available out of the box, that's the way I will call them, uh, all the tools and uh, um, capability features that BigFix made available and the, I will say, close to real-time ability that it has to query, understand the device posture, it's what makes it even more interesting for people like you said you are working on a um, you were a customer at the time and i know others that are doing the same they build this thing and they're low because they know one they can trust the, what big fix says and two they can automate whatever comes into their mind with big fix uh, to manage devices evidently so i thought oh, well, those are two fundamental strength big strength that i believe this technology is and it works we typically say, you know, it seems simple, but, you know, uh, if you hear, uh, when you ask people, why do you love BigFix? Why do you like BigFix? You get this reply, which is, it just works, which may be, it seems, you know, too simple, but in reality, it's what it is. I want something that works and does well, very well, or extremely well, I will say, what it is supposed to do. So it does its job, it does its work, I trust the thing, and so I keep using and automating, and so reduce the need for uh, me to babysit this technology that I have, or uh, be aware that maybe I'm not getting what I should. Yep. So, so once we, once, once your former employer decided to buy Big Fix and, and, and all of that, and how did you make it, you know, I guess to the Big Fix team? What did you do when, when, when it, you first got involved with Big Fix? And, uh, yeah, how did that work? Ah, okay. Uh, well, I will say two, two, two primary aspects that, uh, that Rhonda, uh, one is uh, around, you know, um, meeting and getting close with uh, with the team uh, at Bigfix. You know, at the time, essentially, what was there was the team that in Bigfix that had the knowledge and uh, I will say the ownership of Bigfix. But at the same time, as I think I mentioned earlier on, uh, we already had with the previous employer. Uh, I will say competitive technology that was built in house that was already deployed on our I would say a large number of customers. So one aspect there uh, was around, you know, how do we um, expand what uh, Big Fix has already in areas that Big Fix wouldn't, wasn't covering at the time, but you know, the, the increase the customer set was uh, looking for. Uh, we had all the features in the previous technology that Bifix didn't have. I pick one up, for instance, remote control was never part of Bifix, but it was part of our previous, of the previous product I'm, uh, I'm talking about, right? So the 
part of the, the work that we're doing was how we could better or best integrate the two technology so that the, the entire set of uh, capability for Bfix Plus, I would call it, will cover what our larger customer set was asking for. That was one, I will say, area that we concentrated upon uh, quite a bit in some of sticking this thing together. The other part was actually building and doing teamwork with between uh, the team that was owning uh, at the time Bigfix and the name became part of um, our previous employer and the rest of the team that was in the previous employer that will have to switch from the technology we were building at the time to adding or improving uh, the Bigfix technology. So human aspect and team building was a fundamental part of it, as you might imagine from one side. And the other one was around uh, um, uh, putting together the best of the two technologies so that the overall offering will be uh, available to a larger customer set and in particular to the set of customers that we already had. You know, they, we had positioned it with position the technology we had in the past well for a number of years. They were happy, they were liked it, they had more requirements and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden they say, oh, this technology is coming. Now what happens? So we are screwed and so on and so forth. And I would like to uh, comment, if I may, on an episode here on a customer visit that uh, uh, myself and a couple of you know uh, leaders of uh, Big Face the Time uh, did for a large bank. And uh, this uh, customer was, you know, I will say not too happy uh, to change technology. They were somehow raising, um, as I would say usual, they were raising point around why this work this way, we should work this way. Uh, why do we do this? Why do we do that? So uh, I still remember we were into their offices for an entire morning, I think, uh, describing via slides and so on and so forth, how Bfix works. So, if and how particular capability could be done with VIX instead of the previous technology and so on and so forth. And, you know, they were not so convinced, but then all of a sudden, I believe we decided, no, you know what, let's stop having doing the slide share. Why don't, do you, do you guys, you know, do uh, have, you know, like two or three laptops that you can uh, try the technology on? So they were so nice, I believe, to share, say they said, they picked up three laptops of the individual that were in the room. And um, uh, one of us, actually not me, um, installed the big server on one of the desktop and the agent on two of the desktop. And the believe it was, I counted it, I think it was 24 minutes. I still remember it. Uh, he was able to show into our UI the automation that I mentioned earlier on, and the fact that uh, on those two devices, in one of the two, they missed the page of Adobe Reader, and I think they missed something on the other page without touching anything. So 24 minutes, they were, we were able to show them, you install BigFix, and without having to do any additional work, you wait for what we call the gathering mechanism, which is like a minute or two, and because you have an agent installed on those devices, you are immediately able to remediate and patch without you dear customer have to invest uh, resource and money to do that part of automation. They were shocked. <laughs> we still had the customer, by the way, with Bayfix. Yeah, that's awesome. That's that's so cool. And that happens so often too. I mean, we, we see that all the time, even today. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. 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 I mean, the best 
and they will think that we do. And the best part that we have, in, instead of going, you know, say, you know, describe all the features, all the thing, why don't you let me try with the POC what B6 can do in your environment? It doesn't take, you know, days at the time, by the way. <laughs> it, it was taking, you know, maybe two or three days to install a piece of technology like the one we had at the time. But no, 24 minutes during a meeting, we were able to show the value of the technology. I mean, 24 minutes, 24, and laptop that they had on their own. You know, we downloaded our binaries from our point of presence in the internet. We installed the agent. The agent were reporting back, you know, matter of minutes. So, what? look. You miss these patches here, you miss these other patches here. Do you want me to fix? Really? Oh, yes. Take action. Fix it. Done. That's very cool. That's, that, that was cool. That was really uh, fantastic. And again, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier on, which part of our uh, real good strength is the fact that we provide, provide automation out of the box. So that's great. And we have a lot of them, by the way. At the time... I have to remember the time I believe the total number of automation that uh, we had in Big Fix uh, or the Big Fix set was, I think, was 140,000 or something like that. I believe we have over half a million right now of automations uh, of all the kind that people can grab and, uh, and use. Oh, by the way, and there are also the ones that uh, James wrote on his own that is so nice to share in our uh, Big Fix Me, if I remember right, James, right? Yes, I have lots there too, for sure. Yep. And in the GitHub as well, I think you have something there as well. Yep, on my GitHub, yep. JG's too, yep. on both. Yep. Um, so I guess what um, kind of cool and new technologies and things that we're working on today excite you the most? With big things. Uh, yeah, I will say, you know, right now uh, we are doing a, a very, I will say, challenging and interesting activity uh, to bring BFIX to the next level. Uh, uh, as I believe you guys know, like I do, uh, BFIX right now is a non prem technology. By on prem, I actually mean that you have to install BFIX on uh, either bare hardware or an AVM. We work fine uh, either way, which is uh, great. But what we are doing is we are moving to a model where we are embracing more of the cloud native technology. Um, think of now containers, Kubernetes, and all that thing, and integrating with additional technology there so that uh, we will make uh, deployment of BigFix even easier than the 24 minutes I mentioned earlier on. Uh, spawning up, uh, we have a presence already on HCL um, now and so uh, in the solution factory for HCL, where you can actually instantiate uh, big fix for uh, patching in, right now I believe is uh, below 15 minutes. Yeah, it's about that. And the key part is like, you don't have to do anything. You just have to hit go. Absolutely. You just push a button, you push a button, uh, go grab a coffee, uh, get back and you have a complete big fix uh, installation up and running. We have the server, our web UI, relay, database instantiated and so on and so forth. Uh, that's a great stuff, I believe. That's fantastic for us from a technology perspective because we move and are investing and looking at uh, uh, more modern, I will say, uh, technology for the cloud native from one start. From the other side, however, it will make the deployment and management of BigFix uh, much easier for 
customers that you know may want to use that model, or even moving forward, uh, if may be able to host uh, the backend for them, so they don't even have to um, deploy the backend, and they just take care of the device that they manage, who's you know our technology in the backend. We call this thing HCL now uh, these days, and we are moving to that toward that direction. Uh, that's one aspect, which is you know the re-enabling and enabling the technology, the great technology that we have into an environment which is not exactly the same like we used to have. Uh, and so there are intriguing factors there in terms of how we are going to change our scaling model, how are we going to uh, decouple some of the services that we have, which currently are supposed to be on the same operating system, make it uh, scale more horizontally, as uh, some people call it microservices, so that you know uh, we can adjust for high availability, disaster recovery, but also from a scalability standpoint. Uh, in addition, as I mentioned earlier on, to reduce you know, the cost, uh, the total cost of ownership for people uh, that want to use our technology. That's one aspect. At the same time, however, uh, these new uh, or intriguing uh, piece of technology bring onto the table uh, the need uh, that we have addressed for years on more, I will call them traditional uh, devices. You know, I mentioned earlier on uh, patching and um, security compliance. Now, in, if you switch and think about, you know, managing the, this type of environment and not being hosted in this environment, managing this thing, uh, containers, uh, images, and so on and so forth. There are a number of intriguing factors that we are looking at and that uh, we would like to address. Uh, patching, for instance, is intriguing in this environment. You are not going to patch a container. Um, that is a transient element that is derived from an image. So what does patching mean? How do we do that? How can we make it even uh, essentially without having to have an agent on this? How do we interact with uh, uh, the API that are available? Uh, with the repository where the image is here, how do we compare uh, containers that are running on uh, Kubernetes, for instance, with the related images, and uh, are they the same? Have they modified? Is the image that uh, uh, is used to instantiate a container secure? Uh, are there CV available? That Those are intriguing elements that I believe uh, I, I'm intrigued about. I, I like to look, I'm, we are looking at, and uh, from one side, that from the other side, that they will address some of the, I would say, challenges and issues that uh, a company are going to have and have uh, moving toward um, uh, this model from, can I call it more traditional one, where you instantiate VM and devices. Uh, those are the, I will call them the two major areas that are uh, really intriguing for me and for us as we move forward with fix. There are others, but these are the, the two top that comes to my mind. That's terrific. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a, an entire paradigm shift that we have to be sure that we can address for our customers and for ourselves to continue to grow and and do more of what we do in in different ways. I guess. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and uh, and that essentially is the direction we're moving forward. Since you know a few years now, right, Rhonda? <clears throat> in the last, in the, in the the recent past, essentially we have moved from. Uh, we have added capability to manage devices uh, that are, you know, can I call them less traditional? Uh, we have now the possibility to manage mobile devices. We have the possibility to manage devices through the API provided by the hypervisor or the cloud provider, where you don't have an agent. So 
um, moving forward in the future, uh, you know, sometimes we think about um, shall, shall we manage IoT devices and what actually does managing IoT devices here. Uh, we are not going to manage tiny little devices, uh, evidently, uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, but you know, those type of devices are going to be always more present into our customers' uh, deployment and environment. How can we help them have you know, visibility of what is out there, whether they are exposed or not, and possibly you know, apply what we are good at and the evolution of that. That's, that's all areas, in, interesting and intriguing areas that um, we are working on, excites me and we're working on. I, I always said that when I was a customer, I was like, if it's connected to my network, I want you to fix it. I want you to be able to yes. do, do something <laughs> yes. with it. I, but you also, are, um, you are <laughs> you are absolutely right, and that's one of our mantra: right? visibility, visibility first. Yeah. What is on my network for one, and for two, is it what I see? I have on my network something I should care of or not? Yeah. But having a view, okay, this. 300,000 devices are connected to my network. Maybe I know that, you know, I don't manage all the 300,000, but I know they are there. And I take a conscious decision that I don't have to manage them. I'm not blind that, you know, there are devices that maybe even an, an external attacker could use to do something bad right. with my company. Yeah. Yeah. I also said I wanted to, I wanted big fix to, to patch and reboot, but um, it, in some cases, you know, like, uh, it, the the company I was at was doing some early work with like cars and you know things that could like Ooh. I was like don't just don't patch and reboot <laughs> well, me when I'm driving down I'll the tell, freeway. <laughs> I tell I tell you a story. You bring me an interesting story, Rhonda, that scared me a bit. Honestly, it was even before Bifix. I was like you know really you know a number of years before Bifix. So on a previous time, I'm probably with a different technology. And uh, uh, people were coming and saying that we should have an agent installed on the aircraft engines to monitor how it works and eventually fix the thing. That scared me a lot. Can you think of, of that thing? You have an agent there and somebody does do something. You have to be extremely, extremely uh, careful about security first, reliability second. I mean, if for whatever reason it doesn't work, that's... That's a bad that's thing. That's a really bad so, thing. And that's <laughs> interesting. That that that's that, that challenging thing. I mean, even when we go, and that's why I say that, you know, getting to the IoT device and other things, some of these devices actually may even control, I don't know, nuclear plants or things that, you know, uh, sensitive stuff, I would yeah. say. So it's not just, you no, know, I manage the thing. You have to take care of uh, a number of aspects. And security first, again, yeah. uh, security is for hours, is uh, a major uh, activity, honestly, because we know that, you know, uh, we are powerful in what we could do on device, but the power that we have, you know, yeah. have to be controlled. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. It's all about understanding, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And that's certainly what Big Fix yes. does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes. so to circle back and kind of wrap things up today. So what kind of things are you interested in outside of your job? It could be technology. It could be just in general, let's let's learn a little bit about Rosario outside of Big Fix. Oh, okay. Ah, ah, you want to get private here? Well, no, something with my life. Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier on, uh, Rhonda, essentially, I like technology. That's the, the, the that's a given. So. Um, 
one of the things that I do that is somehow related with my job, but you know, it's not directly related yet. And you know, I like to explore what's available on the market. I like to explore uh, technology for the sake of technology as such, just uh, uh, for it, well, maybe for applicability into our um, BFIX technology as well. So, for instance, I look at the stuff that what they call deep computing, AI, and think of the short, see what technology evolution are there and understand if and how. Uh, some of that technology can be used for us. Now, there's these two things. One is, you know, I'm a curious guy, so therefore, you know, I'd like to learn uh, what uh, is available there. And so uh, that's one aspect of it. And the other one is if and where we can apply it to that. That's somehow related to the work, but not all the time. Sometimes, you know, I go and learn something that has not a lot to do with what we could do, let's say, in the next decade or so. As an example, some times ago, some few years ago, I got extremely intrigued by quantum computers. Uh, you remember I said, you know, I have a physics degree, right? So with uh, with a colleague at the time, you know, we went over and uh, tried to figure out whether we could uh, uh, even have some sort of relationship with the university uh, that we could build something uh, around those uh, type of devices. So I learned something about that. Uh, I learned an essential point of quantum computers. They are really different from what we have today. Essentially, are hard-coded more than anything else. Uh, but again, it's intriguing. It's something that you know excites me mentally, and uh, that's what I do in terms of technology. Um, Going back, I will say to what I said at the beginning, that I like to build stuff and think of the sort. Uh, there is one project that I want to share that, you know, I did, I don't know, for many years, I still have it there. Uh, I was uh, building my own PCB. I kind of remember what it stands for. But those are those, you know, um, a flat material on, with copper on top of which you actually solder computer uh, electronics. And at the time, I was used. I used to do it via hatching, so acid and things like that, which is a mess. So at a certain point, I saw that people were using CNC machine. I don't know whether you know uh, what they are. CNC, I believe, stands for computer numerical control or something like that. Yep. Those are machines with a bit that runs and can cut material and can move in three directions. And and there's a mixing of mechanics, uh, electronics, uh, uh, software because you have to have uh, software that runs this thing. So that's where I start to build my first CNC machine by hand. I was picking stuff around. With that, I built a second one, and with the second one, I built the third one, which is the one that I have today. And by that, you know, I was uh, learning somehow things about um, servo motors or stepper motors for one. I learned about the CAD software, the computer-headed design, as well as CAM for manufacturing, which, mm -hmm. I mean, is not directly related to what we do in BigFix, but it's uh, interesting. And some of the things that you see there, some of the ideas, some of the patterns, I believe sometimes we apply in BigFix because some of the work from might be reapplicable. Uh, so that's what I believe I do, uh, essentially, uh, when I don't think about BigFix. So steel electronics, steel soldering, for instance, I did build my own irrigation system based on uh, Raspberry Pi. I That's cool. built some, uh, I built some, oh, it's simple project, but I built some, you know, Christmas stuff <laughs> uh, based on Arduino. Uh, so is, is, that's uh, what big, I do. is Big Fix running on your irrigation controller? Uh, not yet. Uh, working on that, uh, James. <laughs> okay. 
You need to rectify but that. One thing, but one thing, one, one project I wanted to do, but I haven't done it yet, is whether use BigFix to actually uh, control my house. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why do I say that? Because uh, I was thinking about it. And, you know, right now it's just my wife and I, but earlier on we, we had my other two kids with us. So it's like, I think I have four or five computers uh, myself, uh, an iPad uh, and an Android phone. It's made, let's say seven devices. Then I have maybe three or four routers. Uh, then uh, my wife has two or three. The kids have two each. So you add up to that. You have something like 30 or 40 devices that are connected to your network. And any one of them could be attacked. And you don't know what is on those devices. So I thought, why can't I use BigFix to monitor mm -hmm. my own stuff, either be a router or anything else, and provide an interface that is easy enough that I don't have to be there. It's even easier than what we have today. So that I know maybe. Somebody that is not close to technology can know, oh, my device, I don't know, my daughter, can, I can show her, Yo, your device is, is broken, you have to fix it. Why? I tell you why. So that, that was something I had in mind, James, but I never did it yet. <laughs> One day I'll start that project. There you go. It sounds like you also need to get into 3D printing. Uh, to take oh, yeah, <laughs> you are touching that. I, I thought about it, about 3D printing, but I'm still with the CNC device. I have uh, a friend that has a TV painting. When I need one of these, I go there. But that's, I believe, another thing I'll, I'll start. Maybe just a small desktop one. I'm still um, debating on whether I should use the deposit one, the typical one, your PLA or others, or mm -hmm. maybe the one that comes with, is it resin, where you you beam lights, and as you beam lights, so the, the, the resin you know becomes harder, and you build the thing, which is much nicer to look, but it may be messy. So that's one of yeah. the reasons why I didn't I didn't get into 3D printing yet, but probably I will. It's just intriguing. It's nice. It's, it goes to the same flow, right? You go to the CAD, you go to the CAM, yep. and then you see the, the product. So you have something which sticks. It's you know a picture on your computer that you built your on yourself by yourself. Sorry. And then you know, all of a sudden, with the entire process, you you have this thing on your hands. The way you thought about it, think about that. That's that's intriguing. That's fantastic. That's something that really excites me. You know, you have something that is. Sarah, sorry. You could even three D print um, something, uh, maybe a little bit rough, and actually like CNC some finer details out of the oh, printed material. Oh, that's, that's a possibility as well. That's a possibility as well. Um, you could. Uh, you're absolutely right. But the other thing, you know, I, 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 I looked at some YouTube videos. Also. One of the things was, you know, whether I could, you could do a 3D printing to build uh, a model and then you you cast aluminum with that. I don't know if you've seen videos or that, right? Yep. But you can build your own aluminum part by casting it and using uh, the CNC uh, to build the model. Uh, I don't know whether my wife will kick me of my of the house, but uh, <laughs> that's something I had in mind. Absolutely. Best best not to push it too hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, yeah. Okay. So thanks, Rosario, for coming on the show and for sharing your passion for Big Fix and your passion for technology and, and all of that. Yeah. This has been really great. It's been great getting to know more about about you now that you know I've worked with you for for this time. Now I know a yeah. whole lot more about who Rosario is. So that's great. <laughs> well, yep. thanks. And thank you for inviting me for this um, session and viva bifix all right the best technology <laughs> in the world <laughs> well thanks thanks for coming yeah thanks again and thanks to our listeners for joining us today on endpoint management today 
This podcast is the brainchild of James and myself. Uh, James and I do our best to edit it. Any mistakes that you hear are ours alone. And uh, our original music is from Dan Corcoran, our Big Fix specialist. <laughs>